I want you to look at this verse with me, and I must want to talk more than preach today. Could I just share with, with you men? This is what the Lord put in my heart as I was praying and seeking the Lord. I just have a, this is, this is my title, A Message to Fathers. That's very simple, isn't it? A Message to Fathers. Here's a verse in just a moment in Isaiah 38, verse 19. Now, the setting is this. Uh, see, Isaiah prayed something in the midst of his thanksgiving when God had done something in his life. Isaiah, or, I'm sorry, Hezekiah became sick. And the prophet was told by the Lord to go speak to the king and tell him that he's going to die and not live. So he needs to get his house set in order. And so Isaiah goes to him and, and obeys the Lord and said, said Hezekiah, set your house in order. You're going to die and not live. And so Isaiah walks out of the palace and he doesn't hardly get out of the palace that the king turns his face toward the wall and begins to desperately cry out to God. And guess what God did? God heard him. We serve a prayer answering God. And so God heard his prayer and then Another word comes to Isaiah and says, Isaiah, go back and tell him, I have heard his prayer and I'm going to grant 15 more years to his life. Isn't that amazing? And so Hezekiah lived 15 more years and this verse is part of his thanksgiving and part of his prayer to God as he's asking God to intervene when he has a death sentence over his life. And here's, the, here's what he says in the prayer and in the thanksgiving. He says, Isaiah 38, 19, the living, the living man, he shall praise you. As I do this day, the father shall make known your truth to his children. Isn't that amazing? He says, I want to live longer because a father can instruct his children. Now, it was during this 15-year extension of his life that Hezekiah's son was born. A son was born to him. Anybody remember what his son's name is? His son's name was Manasseh. Now, if you remember in your Bible reading, see, Hezekiah was one of the godliest kings that Judah ever had. Manasseh was one of the most evil kings that Judah ever had. In fact, it is believed, now the scripture doesn't say this, but it is believed that the, the very prophet Isaiah that prophesied to Hezekiah and said, your life's going to be extended, that Manasseh, Hezekiah's son that was born during this 15-year period, that Manasseh had Isaiah sawn asunder. The Hall of Faith says that. Or talks about how some were sawn asunder. Some believe that was Isaiah. And that's when Manasseh didn't follow his father's advice, whatever advice and counsel that he gave him. Looks like he ignored it. Later on, Manasseh came back to the Lord, and we'll talk about that. I would begin by just saying this. To, to say the statement that a father's role is vital is probably the understatement of the highest order because a father's role in the nation, in the church, certainly in the family, certainly in their kid's life is, is what I would kind of call the missing link. 
It's the, the missing link, I believe, in society. Missing link, fatherly roles, godly fathers. Missing in nation, missing in family, missing many times in church. I told someone, Father's Day traditionally is a low Sunday. Mother's Day is a high Sunday. Father's Day, it's always a little bit of disappointment in my heart because I'm fighting for fathers. I'm fighting for men. And we see that even in our nation today, that maleness is under attack. We've had the feminization of young men for many, many decades. But we're fighting for strong, manly, courageous young men in this church. In 1961, 1961, 70% of homes in minority communities had both a father and a mother in that home. 1961, 70% of those minority homes had a father and a mother. Then something happened in 1965, the year I was born. Lyndon Bain Johnson, the Democratic president, sent workers into those minority communities and said this to them, that if you, are, you have a child and there's no father, the government will give you money. The only thing, the only stipulation is this, the only stipulation is you have to prove that there is no father in the home. Now, think what I just said. 1961, in minority communities, 70% of those homes had a father in them. In 1965, a Democratic president went in and said, if you do not have a father in the home, if you have a child, there's no father in the home, we will incentivize that, we will give you money. Today, 2021, there's about 26% of fathers that are in the homes of those minority communities. And in those communities, it'll break your heart. Illiteracy, school dropout, crime is going through the roof, teen pregnancy is going through the roof. You say, what's the problem? I think the problem is fatherlessness. Because a father is a difference Maker, Do you believe that today? Anytime fathers do not take their place, their God-given place in the home, in the society, in the church, in the, in the nation, consequences are going to follow. And in those minority communities, those precious, precious little children grow up without a godly role model. And, and children need godly role models Amen. desperately. And we have those here in this church, and I appreciate that. Could it be today, could it be that the crises that we're seeing in many parts of our nation are nothing more, and a lot of people are saying this is the problem, that is the problem, but could it be today that the crisis in our nation is nothing more or nothing less than the crisis of a fatherless generation, a generation seeking fathers, a generation looking for role models that they can emulate themselves after? I've told the story many times, true story. I'll tell it again because it is so poignant. It is so powerful that in Kruger National Park in South Africa, they began to call out of some of those herds the older bull male elephants. They called the male elephants out, the older dominant bull elephants out. Over time, something strange began to happen. The adolescent bulls, begin to act out. 
They begin to kill rhinoceros. They begin to act in very strange ways that they couldn't figure out. They begin to look at it. They begin to try to figure out. And they realized what had happened. They pointed it back to a time when there was a loss of leadership in those elephants. In time, they begin to introduce from other herds bull elephants back into those herds. And lo lo and behold, order came back into those herds and everything began to function properly. I believe that a home functions properly when a godly, loving father is in that home. It's a need of fathering. So this morning, I press upon myself, I press upon all of us today, the need to to step into our role as godly men. It's a desperate need in in our country today. What would happen in our families, our churches, and our nations if we would take our place in the kingdom of God? It would be an amazing thing. It could heal the nation. It really could. It could heal the nation. In fact, they looked at statistics. It's, it's, this is a true, now this is a generalization. I don't have the statistic, but I've read it, and I don't know exactly what it is, but it is a proven fact. When a, when a father doesn't go to church and a mother takes the kids to church, there's a, there's, a, there's a lower percentage of things that happen in that family. And later on, the kids fall out. It, it's proven statistic that if a father will lead the way and lead his family to church, his kids will stay in church. The statistics are higher at least. I want you to see this first of all. Several thoughts I want to say. And this is just, I just sat down and began to type. Here's what I want to say. First of all, a father's call. There's a call of God upon every father in this room and every father in this nation. And even those fathers that are not saved, they have a God-designed role that they are to play. And there's a call of God on fathers today. Listen to what Malachi said. This, is, this closes the Old Testament out. Malachi 4.6 says, he says, he will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children's, to the children, and the hearts of the children to the fathers. And, and we need those hearts turned back to each other. Father's heart has to be turned toward his children, and the children's heart has to turn toward the father. Why? Lest I come and strike the earth with a curse. Do, do you realize today that, that this verse right here, in a little bit of a veiled way, and maybe not so much a veiled way, shows us when there's a breakdown in the nuclear family, there's, there will be a breakdown in society. We have it in the prophetic word of the Lord. He'll bring a curse. In, in many areas, our nation is cursed in this way, and God wants to bless us, but we have to do it his way and not our way. And there are forces today there are organizations today that you can look on their website and their goal is to destroy the nuclear family. In fact, this is one of the tenets of Marxism. This is what happened to happen. That They knew, Marx knew this. And, and so in Russia, they began to break down the nuclear family. Dad, your primary role is to direct your children in the ways of God. This is a primary call Upon your life. Do you realize this is one of the reasons that God chose Abraham? Because in God's foreknowledge, He knew how He would lead His children in the ways of God. He said this in Genesis. Listen to what He said about Abraham. For I have known Him. That's Abraham. I've known Him. I have a relationship with Him. 
in order that he may command his children and his household after him, that he may keep the way of the Lord to do righteousness and justice that the Lord may bring to Abraham what he has spoken. I know you because I know the way that you're going to raise your children. You're going to command them in the ways of God. Father, it's our call to lead in all aspects of life. Listen, we are always leading. When you don't think you're leading, you are leading. Little eyes are watching you. They may be eyes that are 30, 40 years old now, but now there's a 14-year-old watching you called your grandson or your granddaughter. We must lead in all aspects of our life. One of the ways is a father needs to lead his children to life. You you know, some, some dads are leading their children to death. They're leading them to death, spiritual death. But we are called to lead our children to spiritual life. Our children need the gospel. They need more than a cursory, you know, veneer of the gospel. We need to make sure. Here's here's what I want you to see. We lead them to life when we lead them to Jesus. We lead them to life when we lead them to Jesus, the very life giver. It can't end with us. Acts says this, the promise is to you. Remember this last week? The promise is to you and to your children. The promise is to you, but it is to your children. Not only that, to those, although they are far off, many as the Lord our God will call. God's promise is not just to me, but it is to my children, it is to my grandchildren right here, and to my great-grandchildren. We have to lead. We lead to life. We model life. We have to model life. We can't live in two worlds. You can, but, but there's devastating consequence in a kid's psychology, in a kid's psyche. When, when they come and you know, we're, we're worshiping God and we're lifting our hands and we're doing spiritual things, and then they see us do other things when we're not in the box here. Well, this is not our relationship with God. We come together because it's a command of God, but we live for God 24-7. Holy Spirit is with us every moment of every day. And, and we walk with God internally. You understand? We walk with God in spirit. He dwells in us. He lives in us. We are the temples of the Holy Spirit. We're never out of the presence of God. And what we have to do, fathers not only have to lead to life, we have to model life. Paul said it this way. For our gospel did not come to you in word only. Hmm, interesting. Our gospel did not come to you in word only. Now, we need to preach it in word, but there's another way the gospel would come. He said, but also in power and the Holy Spirit and much assurance because you know the kind of men we were among you. In other words, you saw the way we lived. We modeled this life for you. Model life. But not only that, as fathers, we have to speak life. We speak life. Let your words be life-giving. You know what's in the tongue? If, what's in the tongue? Power of what? Life and death in the power of the tongue. There are some people, they kill with their tongue. Their tongue is a vicious weapon. It's worse than, than an AK-47. It's terrible. We have to be very careful what we speak to our children, not just what we speak, but how we speak. How we speak. Our words have power, Dad. And I'm speaking to parents, moms too. We have power to inspire action, to make kids want to do great and awesome things. And every child can do everything that God calls them to do. They can do more than they think they can do. Most people can do more than they think they can do. Words can inspire action. 
Words can build confidence. Words can build faith. Words have power to build faith. Words can move mountain when God's anointing is in your words. And when it's in the will of God, I can't just go around moving stuff on my own. But when God says that mountain has to be moved, I've anointed you to do it. You just speak to it and watch what I do. Words have power to build confidence in your children. Words have the ability to teach endurance. When someone feels like giving up and someone feels like they're discouraged. You know, Peyton's teaching this morning, and I could tell she was a, she was, you know, you that have been in spiritual leadership, you understand there's a, there's a spiritual load you carry. Some of you don't, may not have a clue what I'm talking about. Anyone who is led in any kind of capacity, there's a spiritual warfare, there's a spiritual load. And I saw that on Peyton. I saw it this morning. She's teaching. You know what I told her? I said, I want you to go to your room. I want you to pray in tongues for 30 minutes. I said, when you pray in the spirit for 30 minutes, you're going to feel refreshing. It's going to come. And I heard her in there. Heard her praying in her room. Yeah. See, my words were saying, you can press through this. You can, you can do this because God's spirit is with you. Our words have power. Words can guide. Words can direct. Words can lead in the path of righteousness. And dads, I would say this to you. You must lead, but you must lead out front. You can't lead from the back of the pack. Leadership by its very nature is your leading. You're the tip of the spear in a sense. And I want to challenge every father in this room today. Lead from the front. What do I mean? Lead your family to church faithfully. Lead your family in family devotions. Lead your family in prayer. Lead your family in modeling how to serve God through the church and how to, how to do that. What is it? It's the Father's calling. You're called of God. Not only that, we have, secondly, is this. In the calling, there's a challenge. A father has challenges. There is a father's challenge. What, what is the challenge, Pastor? For us as fathers. The challenge for fathers is this. We live in a wicked world that is bent and targeting the destruction of the spirituality of your children. Here's what the word of God says in John. We know that we're of God. We're saved. We know we're of God. We know that we're saved. That's what he's saying. We're of God. We know Jesus Christ. We're born again. Notice this. And the whole world... Is lies under the sway, influence of the wicked one. The father's challenge is this. You're trying to lead your children in a way that is completely opposite of the current of the world. There's a world that's seeking to press your children into their mold. And it's a mold that is anti-God, it's anti-Christ, it's, it's anti-morality, it's anti-church. It's anti-authority. It's all out there. Pressing them into the mold. We're fighting an uphill battle. Listen, especially with social media. Especially with a phone that you can get about anything you want on that. And those, they're so smart in technology, they could be in stuff. You may not even know it. It's, this is a father's challenge to lead our children in the ways of God. Many children today are being brainwashed by godless ideologies, some of them very recent. 
Many colleges have become places that are discipleship for socialism, Marxism, and atheism. I mean, parents are paying tens of thousands and even hundreds of thousands of dollars for someone to train their kid in socialism, Marxism, and atheism. I'm talking about kids that were raised in church. I'm talking about as far back as the early 90s. We sent kids off to college from our youth group, and they came back, didn't even know if they believed in God anymore. I can tell you, there is a satanic anointing on some of these guys that are teaching in these bastions of knowledge, so-called. So what is the challenge? One of the challenges is the challenge of discipleship. Now, what is a disciple? A disciple just simply means a devoted follower of Jesus Christ, a fully devoted follower. See, what are we? You know, people say we're Christians. Do you realize the name Christian was actually a negative term when it first came out in Antioch? But I, and that's a fine, Christian is fine. I, but I, I'm, a, I'm a follower of Jesus. I love that. Who are you? I'm a follower of Jesus. I'm not just a person that goes to church. I follow Jesus. I serve Jesus. And for fathers and mothers, parents, it's the challenge of discipleship. Getting your children's roots deep, deep, deep in the things of God. Where when atheism and socialism and Marxism and all of this ungodliness comes sweeping at them, they know who they are because they know Jesus. And they have the power of God working in each of their lives. I've watched young people. I've watched young people that grew up in church. And it's almost like the gospel never got rooted in them. Oh, you may even see him in the altar shed a few tears in, in a high emotion. But it's got to be more than emotion. That's right. and, and, and you listen to Pastor. Every emotional experience, experience is not necessarily a spiritual experience. Okay. We as Americans almost have become professional at producing emotion. If we play a certain way, if we watch a certain movie or a certain whatever, certain mood. But uh, just because it's emotional doesn't mean it's spiritual. If it's spiritual, it will have a spiritual effect and fruit following it. And I watch some of these young people. And I watch them grow up. It's almost like the, the, the gospel, all it got was in the shallowness of the, of the hard soil. Or the shallow soil, the little the soil that Jesus talked about. And then I, I've watched those same young people walk away from God, walk away from church, and today, you know, whether they ever had a relationship with God, that only God knows that. Only God knows that. But some of those young people today are in some of the grossest immorality that I can't even speak of it here. And if they do not get back to God, they have forfeited God. They forfeited the kingdom of God, and they will die lost. I'm telling you this for fathers. There is the challenge of discipleship, and the primary responsibility is not the church. It's you, mom and dad. It's your responsibility because they're with you all the time. We get them an hour, two a week, maybe if we're lucky. But YouTube and Internet and Facebook and TV gets them an hour, 20, 30 hours a week. We can't win over that. You got to help us, Mom. You got to help us, Dad. We want to raise some little champions around here to understand we're warriors. But you got to start when they're young. 
Discipleship starts when they're young. Discipleship, I, I just thank God for Calvin and Jenny. They have a heart for these babies. You can see it on them. They love these babies in nursery. They're in this classroom over here. They pray over those boys and girls. They love those boys and girls. There's an anointing in there. Because they're, they're, they're not just babysitting. We can get a babysitter. Anybody babysit. I could do it. Not long, but I could do it. <laughs> you know, I mean, hey. Some people have certain gifts. I didn't get that one, you know. I'd have them in there. Line up against that wall, boy. Yeah. <laughs> sir, yes, sir. <laughs> Mommy, get the mean man away from me. So you got to have an anointing for that stuff. But I thank God for these folks. They've been so committed for so many years. Just the epitome of faithfulness. You got to start when you're young. Here, the word of God says in, in Deuteronomy, <clears throat> I won't read all this, but I'll go down Deuteronomy 6. The Shammah here says, Hear, O Lord God, O Israel, the Lord God is one. The Lord, uh, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Verse 5, you shall love the Lord with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. Verse 6, and, and these words which I command you today shall be in your heart. Now notice this. You shall teach them diligently, diligently, diligently to your children. And shall talk of them when you sit in your house. And, and, and when you walk by the way, when you lie down, when you rise up, you shall bind them as signs on your hand, and they shall be frontlets between your eyes, and shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. When your children are young, get the word of God in them. Create in them an appetite. Let's show them how wonderful it is to serve Jesus. I mean, if you're complaining about stuff all the time in the church and the preacher and everything, the kids are going to pick up on that. Don't let that come in. There's a challenge of discipleship. There's also another challenge, quickly. That's the challenge of disappointment. What do I mean? Jason referred to it, the prodigal son. This prodigal, this young man, walked away from his father. He said, Father, give me the goods that are mine. And they took those goods and he went to a far country and lived in prodigal living. Prodigal just means wasteful. He lived with prostitutes. He, he wasted his money. He lived far from God, far from God's command. And then in the end, he was in the hog pen, which a Jewish young man, that was as low as you could get. Low as you could get. But, you know, children can disappoint parents. Parents that have done all the right things. Parents that have gotten the gospel in these kids. Parents that have loved these kids. Parents that have prayed for these kids. Parents that have done everything God wanted them to do. But you understand, we all have a choice, and children have a choice, and young men and women have a choice. And some of these young men and women have made the bad choices, and it's not their parents' fault. And there's deep disappointment. There's a challenge of disappointment. When you see a child walk away from God, that's a heavy burden to bear. What do I do, pastor? What do I do with that? What you do is this. Every day of your life, you pray over the word of God that is inside of them. That they've been trained in the word of God. And, and, and when they're old, they will not depart it. You pray that the Holy Spirit of God would awaken that word in them. You pray a roadblock around them that they will come back to Jesus. It's a challenge. 
And my heart goes out. I haven't experienced this, and I hope I never will. But think about this. I referred to Hezekiah. And Manasseh, his son, walked away from God. And began to bring idolatry and wickedness. But you know he came back. I mean, I wouldn't let him back. All the wicked stuff this guy did, I said, nope, you can't come back. Aren't you glad God's more merciful than we are? Come on, amen? He's a lot more merciful than we are. He's merciful on us. I want to read this to you. That if somebody this wicked can come back to God, all of our children have hope. Listen to what this says. There's two Chronicles, 33.10. And the Lord spoke to Manasseh and the people, but they wouldn't listen. When we stop listening to the word of God, whether in the church or in the nation or in the home, we're in trouble. We're going down. Judgment's coming one day. Consequences. Verse 11. Therefore the Lord brought to, upon them the captains of the armies of the king of Assyria who took Manasseh with hooks and bound him with bronze fetters and carried him off to Babylon. Trouble has arrived. You can't win with sin. You can't win violating the word of God. Then it says, now when, when he was in affliction... He implored the Lord his God. He humbled himself greatly before the God of his fathers. And he prayed to him. Notice what God did. And he received his entreaty, heard his supplication, and brought him back to Jerusalem into his kingdom. Then Manasseh knew that the, that the Lord was God. After this, he built a wall outside the city of David on the west side of Gihon in the valley. As far as the entrance of the fish gate, it enclosed Ophel. And he raised up a very, to a very great height. Then he put military captains in all the fortified cities of Judah. He took away the foreign gods and the idols from the house of the Lord and all the altars that he had built on the mount of the house of the Lord and in Jerusalem. And he cast them out of the city. He also repaired the altar of the Lord, sacrificed peace offering and thank offerings on it. And commanded Judah to serve the Lord God of Israel. Do you understand what an incredible turnaround this is? Something that, I, you know, it said that Hezekiah said, that preserve my life, that I can command my children. Maybe something Hezekiah said to this young man, this young king. Maybe something Maybe a prayer that he had prayed awakened something in him, and he said, God, forgive me for what I had done. I pray all the prodigals come home. Amen? There's the challenge of disappointment. Don't give up. Don't stop praying for your children. And then there's just the challenge of duty. That I won't read it for time's sake, but Ephesians talks about how that we're to raise our children in the fear and the admonition of the Lord. We're to train them. We're to train them. We're, to to, we're told not to exasperate our children. Don't discipline in such a way that creates resentment. Always discipline in deep concern. Always discipline in love. And we haven't always done that as parents, what we should strive to. Because parents can create a deep resentment and anger that a child may never get over. Some adults are very angry today. And they're angry at work, and they're angry at church, and they're angry at the store, and they've got road rage. But it all goes back when they were the eight-year-old boy, when their father were angry. He disciplined into anger, and a root of bitterness got in that child, and it's grown. And now he can't, his family can't have anything to do with him. Why? He's angry. But it started a long time ago. The Bible says don't exasperate your children. You have to let your children know that you love them. 
They have to have that. Whatever discipline comes, they have to know that you care for them and that you love them. I will... uh, Time's a-going. Never enough time to do the things you want to do once you find them. And then what Croce said? <laughs> um, I, I would say to us fathers with, with, a, with a warning. With a warning. Sin can have enormous consequences. Uh, Hebrew, uh, Exodus 34 says that when a father commits transgression, he says he will by no means cleanse the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. Now that doesn't mean that your children will, will be accountable for what sins you committed. But what it does mean is that your children will be influenced by your life. And it can go on forever and ever, from third and fourth generation, for many years to come. So you say, well, you know, in my family, we had alcoholics or we had whatever, this or that or the other. Why don't you start a new generation? The blood starts a new generation. Why don't, why don't you start a new heritage? And for the third and fourth generation, you've got preachers, you've got missionaries, and you've got people that love God and have a spiritual heart. I, I believe this. That there is spiritual influence that will go on some way mysteriously on in the future. You can look at um, who is the second great awakening preacher, Jonathan Edwards. Jonathan Edwards, they traced his lineage. It's incredible. It's incredible how many presidents and lawyers and doctors and, and governors. It's amazing. They traced someone else that was ungodly and atheist during that same time and criminals and all of this. I'm telling you, if we will lead our children the ways of God, God will bring blessing. It's not about us, but our children, right? But so we look in the scriptures and we just see some fathers were catastrophes. You know, like Achan and God judged his whole family, all his kids too. Eli, who was a priest, chosen priest of God, but all said he wouldn't, wouldn't rebuke his kids. And in, in, in Samuel, it says this, for I told him that I would judge his house forever for the iniquity which he knows about. Because his sons made themselves vile and he did not restrain them. His sons were preached after him. They began to commit immorality with the women in the temple. They began to steal the offerings. They began to, people didn't even want to go to church anymore because he brought, they brought contempt on the worship of God. What did Eli do? Nothing. He should have said judgment's coming on you boys. You're out of here. He should have removed them from office, but he didn't. See, sometimes you can commit sin by committing sin. Sometimes you can commit a sin by omission, by what you don't do and by what you don't say. That just simply means we need to warn our children in love about, about the lives that they're living I'm going to land this, and then I want, to, I want to pray for you fathers, you dads. I deeply appreciate the men in this church. A father has, is to have character, real character. A father needs to be a man of God. I, I had someone tell me one time, many years ago, his dad, he wasn't a preacher. He wasn't a deacon by, by calling. 
But his dad was, was such a godly man. And I knew this man. He was a godly man. Here's what, this, here's what his son said to me. He said, my dad lived so close to God, it was like I grew up in a pastor's home. And I thought, that's the way dads should be. Here's what the psalmist says, and maybe you can take this verse with you. Psalm 112.1 says, Praise the Lord. Blessed is the man who fears the Lord, who delights greatly in his commandments. His descendants will be mighty on the earth. The generation of the upright will be blessed. We think of great fathers and great men. Men like Enoch, who says he walked with God for 300 years. He prophesied for God. He walked consistently with God. He was a man of great courage. It was a lot of, he, they were scoffing at his message, yet he lived for God. He was Methuselah's dad. He pleased God. If Hebrews says that. Without faith, we can't please God. And it talked about Enoch there. Enoch pleased God. He lived in such a way as he was truly a man of God. He pleased the Lord. I think of men like Cornelius, who was a man's man. He was a centurion. You know what centurion is? He was a man over at least... 100 other soldiers. Now, I grew up with military folks and around military and around air bases and, and military bases. But I can tell you, military people are tough people, regimented and disciplined. And here's Cornelius in Acts 10, and he is a man who is a leader of soldiers, a leader of men, a man's man, but yet he has a heart for God. He's a man who was the catalyst that led his family into a mighty move of God. In fact, his family were really the first Gentiles the Holy Spirit was poured out on. A Roman soldier, an Italian guy from the Italian band, you know. I like that band, the Italian band. And the Bible says in Acts, when Peter preached, Holy Spirit fell on all of them. But where was the catalyst? Cornelius was receiving communications from God. He was the one that said, come, family, come on, come on, let's get ready. Let's worship God. And the Spirit filled them all, and they began to speak with tongues. What a great day that was. I believe all those kids that were there that day and that whole family, decades to come. Do you remember when the Apostle Peter visited us, Dad? You remember that time? We were all speaking in tongues together. That was amazing, Dad. See, Dad's are catalyst. Man of God. Man of God. Why don't we stand? We could come, musician. Come to the piano. I want to pray for our dads today. You may, I hope that you understand that this has come from a heart of challenge, but mostly from a heart of love and appreciation. If I was a little challenging here, it wasn't to condemn any dad in here, but it was to challenge you because you're a great man of God. Strong churches have strong men, I just tell you. I'm not being patriarchal, whatever. You know, you hear all that today. Patriarchal. Listen, it's, men innately are leaders. Most of the time, God begin, men are God's beginning place. That doesn't negate any role of any woman in here. But I'm telling you, when God wanted to start a, 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 a people, he started with Adam. When God wanted to start a nation, he started with Abraham. Right? Listen, I'm deeply grateful for the women of God that have blessed the church enormously. But I can tell you, there's no strong church without strong men and men of God, men of prayer, men of godliness, men of deep commitment to say, we're going to build this church because we're men of God. 
Whatever it takes, we're going to build this church. This is what God's called us to do. And I can tell you, in years to come, your children will look upon you and say, my dad was out front. He wasn't leading from the back of the pack. My dad was out front. My dad stood shoulder to shoulder with pastor. And they, he stood together with the church. And look what they did. Look, now they're, all ga- now they're all gone. They're in heaven. But look at what they left us. And dad was a part of that. I tell you, you want my word? Please listen to me, dads. When your children see you pray, it, it, it's like it blazes upon their heart. They'll never forget it. Hear you speak with tongues, they'll never forget it. You read the Bible to them, they'll never forget it. You're writing your story. You're, you're exerting your influence. Make sure it's for God. Make sure it's for God. I want to pray for you fathers that are here today. I'm not going to make you come to the altar, but I want to pray for you there. Just, I want you to make an altar in your heart. Just right there where you are. Would you just bow your heads? Father, I'm so grateful for these dads today. They mean so much to their family. They mean so much to their church family. They mean so much to me as the pastor of this church. And Lord, there's no perfect dads. We've, we have all made mistakes as dads. Every one of us, this pastor included. There's no perfect dads. There's only one perfect, and that's Jesus, and we're not him. So Lord, we're not going to look over our past failures. We're going to ask forgiveness where it needs to take place. We're going to make men amends where they need to take place. But we're not going to live in the rearview mirror. We're going to get forgiveness. We're going to move ahead to become, to be who you want us to be as dads. I pray every dad would feel the call. I pray every dad would meet the challenge. I pray every dad would be who you've called them to be. It says, dear brothers, it says... In Luke 1, I think it's verse 67, that John the Baptist's father, Zechariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit. What an amazing thing that a dad, to have the charisma of God, to have the gift of the Holy Spirit. And I pray right now that each of you dads would receive a fresh infilling of the Holy Spirit, that the Lord would fill you up with his presence and because and I can tell you this, brothers, you take it from pastor, we act different when we're full of the Spirit than when we're not. We're not as short when we're full of the Spirit. We're not as testy. We're not as moody. We're not as angry. When we're full of the Spirit, we are different men because the Spirit of God brings love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, meekness, and temperance. When, when a man is full of the Spirit of God, he is the father and the dad that God wants him to be. The flesh does nothing, can add nothing but hurt. So, Father, today, fill all, our, fill all of us as dads with your love and your presence. Let us be the catalyst for revival in this church and in our home. We ask for great grace to be upon us. We ask for great grace to be upon every dad, and we ask this in Jesus' name.
Amen. Now, as I conclude this service today, I once again want to say how proud I am of every dad in this room. If you get a chance, if your dad is still alive, call him and thank him. Bring honor to him. Forgive him if he's failed. You would want forgiveness. Forgiveness is a bridge to a new beginning. And I say thank you, dads. You're doing a great job. And I'm watching you. I see you bringing your kids. See you loving on your kids. And it's important that we do that. So, Father, today, I pray that these dads have a great afternoon of relaxation. Whatever they like to do, if they want to watch golf or, Lord, if they want to go fishing or just want to relax in a hammock or read a book or watch sports, whatever they want to do. I pray that they have a great day today. And I pray they feel loved and honored. And I pray for strength in the men of this church. Make this church a strong church of strong, godly men that love each other, love their families, and are determined to build your work. And so now, church, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. And everyone said, I love you, church. Be blessed, men.